Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. What's up, monkeys? Monkey Dan here. Welcome to episode number 33 of the Live Wild or Die podcast. On this episode, I have my good friend, John Gertz. We met in 2007. I was a wilderness ranger. He was a ranger out in Sequoia National Forest, and we've been friends ever since. So we've had a ton of adventures out in the wild. We've done long runs together. We've gone skiing, done backpacking trips, just climbed peaks, all kinds of stuff. So He's a super smart guy. He runs ultras and is kind of like this just modern day renaissance man and uh, someone I really respect and uh, admire. So glad to have him on Live Wild or Die. And I think uh, there's a lot to learn. And, you know, we haven't, uh, oh, I haven't done a lot of these interviews. So I think it takes us a second to get warmed up, but we get in a nice flow. I uh, babble a little bit, but overall, We'll just keep getting wilder, keep getting better. So enjoy the show and monkey on. And we're live. So monkey family, I would like to welcome a good friend of mine, Jonathan Gertz, AKA John Gertz. Him and I met back in 2007. This was, uh, I was, it was in between my junior and senior year of college. And, uh, we were both Rangers out in Sequoia national forest in California. And it was a very, um, I guess I could say a very influential time in my life. And, uh, we had a lot of pretty wild adventures together. So I'm just going to hand it over to John and we can, uh, dive in. Thanks for uh, coming on my man. Hey, thanks Dan. Yeah. Happy to be here. Come a long way since, uh, since back in California. Yeah. Well, I remember like, you know, we were both kind of living out of our cars in a sense, you know, we were like broke college students and, uh, it's, it's nice to, uh, have seen the journey. So, yeah. So I guess John is kind of like this modern day Renaissance man. So he can climb peaks, he can run ultra marathons, he can cross country ski, he can make all kinds of, I don't know, I'm not sure the right word, but he can make all these kind of, um, soon to be forgotten tools, crafts, sporting equipment, etc. And uh is just one of my probably one of my most interesting friends and like I said we've done quite a few adventures together and we just kind of wanted to talk training and specifically you know we've both gotten a lot busier in the last several years so we kind of wanted to talk about how we're we're still able to do these pretty big adventures and get that training accomplished even with busy life. So let's dive in. Sure thing. Sounds good. Uh, well, for, for those who, who don't know me, uh, I work for a nonprofit. I've worked there for about six, seven, coming up on seven years now. And, uh, and that's, that's quite a bit different from the, uh, living out of the car years. Uh, <laughs> definitely. Uh, been, uh, uh, been working odd hours, uh, working late hours. Uh, I think I traveled by plane about 10 to 20 times per year to have meeting, meetings, work with agricultural clients. So I have a lot of meetings in the Midwest. And uh, even here in Colorado, I've got at least three offices, including the home office. And so, you know, working in, working in workouts has always been kind of fun. Uh, you know, it's been 
both easier because there's there's little moments of time uh, in between things, but also harder just because there's it's hard to establish a routine. Uh, so yeah, uh, adapting to the new life, adapting to being busy. Um, it's been interesting to see uh, see what where I can fit into the uh, into the cracks and crannies. So. The last few years, I know you've been training for some ultra marathons. I want to talk about maybe the specific event and then kind of the training that led up to it? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, yeah, I, I really fell in love with ultra marathons actually just before uh, just before meeting you. So this makes almost fifteen years that I've been running ultras. I've uh, been doing roughly an, roughly an event a year. Uh, one of the most uh, recent and successful ones I ran was the uh, North Fork 50 miler. It's more of a, a local race uh, here on the Front Range in Jefferson County. Uh, it goes. It has it has a lot of terrain, but it's not one of these super high mountain ultras. Nevertheless, it's still 50 miles, and that's uh, that's a lot to get up to. Uh, so the uh, the year that I did that successfully uh, started off with. Uh, since it's a spring ultra, I started off with my cross-country ski season, uh, just sort of doing a lot of general fitness, getting out there, uh, you know, strengthening the upper body as well as the lower body. Uh, it's kind of amazing how much the shoulder carriage can help to carry the rest of the body, especially when you're wearing something like a, like a water vest or uh, even using poles on the, on the steeper routes. And so starting off with a good upper body strength uh, helped me out. And then I, I just dove right into running specificity. Uh, my general uh, my general pattern over the course of a, of a training season is to start with the really intense, really short stuff and gradually move it to where it's uh, slightly longer, slightly slower, slightly longer, slightly slower, uh, and matched a little bit more to what I'm eventually going to do. Uh, just training the different systems of the body. So I'll start out with with uh, uh, something like three to five minute sprints, followed by three to five minute rest. And uh, of course, since I run the hills, I like to run the hills doing these things. Sometimes I like to run with poles just to add that extra jack to the heart rate. Heart rate. And um, and uh, sometimes I actually just do this by playlist. Uh, you know, get a get a whole bunch of uh, rockin' tunes and and run really hard for one uh, for the entire duration, uh, and then rest for for an entire song. Uh, do that, you know, three to five times over, a few times a week, uh, for a few weeks before moving to the next longest. Something like a, a tempo run, eight to twelve minutes. Uh, do a couple of those per workout. Rest about five to six minutes in between them. Uh, you know, not the kind of blinding pace that, that you can't think, but still pretty darn hard. And then moving to something like half hour intervals. And then finally just unleashing and going for those, for those super long runs. But the, the key here is that, yeah, you accumulate a lot of miles, but at least until, until about six weeks before the, uh, before the race, uh, you can still complete most of the runs just after work real quick or before work. If you're one of the, one of the folks who can, who can wake up early like that. Uh, my wife and I have a, have a prenup basically that says no waking up super early in the morning. So I have not been one of those really early risers, but I do try to sneak in, 
uh, sneak in a run after work and before dinner uh, whenever I can. So I remember talking about your kind of your your kind of high level training program when we were doing the Skyline Traverse here in Boulder. And I remember at the time you mentioned how you started with intervals and then you kind of got more sport sport specific as you got closer mm-hmm. to the event, which I remember at the time being kind of like perplexed by that a little bit. But um, now having done a few ultras myself and then I actually just listened to uh, a guy named Zach Bitter on the Joe Rogan podcast. He has the record for the fastest hundred miles. I think it was like 11 hours. It's pretty freaking wild. But, um, and he basically described the same thing. So I thought, Oh wow, John, John was, uh, John was on something with that. But, um, how I think people kind of, they, they don't realize that you don't need to do. It's not like you need to run a marathon every day to run a 50 mile race. It's like, as you described, it's that gradual buildup and it's really that, would you say the six weeks leading up to the event is where you really start to, uh, get closer to that sport specific training. Yeah, that is the real, uh, break off for accumulation where, where you've all of a sudden got to put in a lot of hours, um, I'm blanking on his name, but he's a he's a guy down at the Colorado Springs uh, Olympic Training Facility. Wrote a book on on ultra running essentials. I sort of go by his his training. We'll put that in the show notes. I'm sure, right, Dan? Oh, sure. Uh, and uh, and he recommends he has sort of a rule of thumb uh, where if you're running something like a 50 miler uh, in the six weeks starting six weeks before that race. Uh, you've got to start putting in significant time for those three weeks. Uh, and then you can start tapering off for the, for the three weeks prior to the race. Uh, but, uh, but he recommends going at least, at least six hours for, for each of those three weeks, uh, and just accumulating a lot of miles. Um, but there's a lot you have to do in order to, in order to be ready for that. Um, you know, it was interesting. I was reading the other day, some, some recent studies on, um, on, on the adaptation of connective tissue, tendons, and ligaments, and how most of that adaptation happens in the first five five minutes, five to ten minutes of a, of a run, and it's actually one of the reasons that when you uh, that overtraining occurs, if you start doing long runs too fast, too quickly, uh, then all of a sudden uh, you'll you'll start getting you'll start getting ligament injuries, is because um, because you're, you haven't accumulated enough short periods, enough short initial periods, uh, in order to, in order to strengthen those. Uh, so that's really what, that, that's one of the reasons why I start off short and frequent and go to the more, to the longer, more intense, uh, runs later on. But by the time you get to that sixth week beforehand, you're ready for, for six hours for a week and even six hours for a week, that's kind of a, uh, it's kind of low compared to, to how they used to do it in the, in the eighties and nineties, just pile on the miles. That was sort of the, the, the philosophy back then. You had guys running, uh, you know, hundred miles a week, 150 miles a week. It was just really insane. And, uh, you had a little bit more, uh, of a dropout rate prior to the race, uh, because of that, I think, um, a little, little steeper of a curve to get people there, but, uh, you don't, you don't really need to really need that. You just need durable body, good muscles, and you can build that with shorter workouts before you start adapting some of the longer term adaptations. 
So what, um, what do those shorter workouts look like? Just, uh, give the monkeys here, uh, just a better idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first off, obviously warm up is super critical. Uh, I go out there and remind myself why I enjoy running. Uh, no one really enjoys the first 10 minutes of running unless you're already warmed up. Uh, but I try to do my best, uh, start at an easy pace, get into the rhythm, uh, get, get blood into every place it needs to be. And then, uh, uh, and then, yeah, just like I described before those, uh, those sprints generally uphills, if I can make it happen, uh, you know, three to five minutes, that's, that's really the grounding, the base that works your VO2 max before you then work to towards, uh, uh, some of the vasculation adaptations that happen with your 10 tempo runs, uh, and, uh, and, and improving your cardiovascular capacity with the longer runs. And then gradually coming to those super long distance adaptations, uh, which, uh, which involve, you know, the ability to digest food and water over, over a course of hours or the ability to, uh, some of the endocrine adaptations that are even more geeky than that. Um, but yeah, I, I do that. Uh, that's the core though. And, and, uh, Dan, just like you were talking about in previous, in previous episodes, uh, there's a lot you can do in the nooks and crannies to accumulate, uh, a lot more exercise. Uh, you know, getting up, doing some squats, uh, early in the morning, um, I, I try to be intentional about uh, about morning and afternoon breaks. Uh, pump it up in order to stay focused at work. Uh, morning break, I really like to do the jumping in place. Uh, I don't have a jump rope, but I pretend I'm jump roping. And uh, five six minutes of that really is enough to trigger some of the uh, some of the connective tissue adaptations that help make you a little bit more durable and reduce your uh, your injury prone. Uh, status. And then, uh, sometimes I do a lunchtime, uh, monkey bar workout. Uh, sometimes, uh, one of my offices is in a, in a 14 story high rise. I'll just go up and down that real quick. Uh, it's enough to, to flood my body, but not enough to, not enough to really get sweaty and stinky. So it's a, it's a perfect thing midday just before I eat lunch. Um, sometimes I do that at the end of the day too, just before I leave. Um, yeah, lots of things you can fit in and around the nooks and crannies of the, of your lifestyle, of your, uh, of your schedule, um, kind of things you can do while traveling, but, um, but yeah. <laughs> so one thing, uh, back when I was doing a lot more coaching and personal training, I always noticed it was like that somewhere between maybe four and six weeks of folks that were pretty much coming off the couch. They'd start to get those connective tissue issues excuse me, connective tissue issues where it's like elbows, shoulders, knees, all that. And, uh, I would always recommend, you know, right around that four to five week point, taking a week off or really taking a significant deload just to let the, the term or the kind of the analogy I would give is, you know, your muscles get strong super quick, but you got to give the connect, the connective tissue more time to catch up. It just, it doesn't have the same blood supply and it just takes longer to catch up. So I think that's anyone that's out there that's interested in doing like these ultra endurance events. It's really important to keep in mind. It's, um, it's really easy to do too much too soon. So that's absolutely right. Yeah, no, I forgot the important part, the rest, uh, <laughs> which, 
you know, rest is so fun. You get to rest. You get to just lie around and enjoy yourself and do a few stretches and enjoy the fitness and the, the feeling, the satisfied feeling of having like evenly sore muscles. And, uh, um, the way, the way that I work it, uh, when I move from a short phase to a medium phase to a long phase in between each of those development phases, I do take a week off, uh, and, you know, ratchet back to just the stretching, just the short little jump things. Um, and whatever feels good, whatever feels comfortable, not pushing the boundaries, not getting outside the box on those weeks in the course of a week, definitely have at least a day rest in between really intense workouts. Uh, sometimes when you get to longer ones, you can pair up the days next to each other, but yeah, on a, on a short term basis, I've, I've felt that I felt the the tension on my tendons, uh, especially if I don't adequately uh, cool down from a workout. If I just come straight off the trail, run into my car, start it up and, and start driving about five minutes later, I'll feel the muscles really pulling on my tendons. And I, I feel like, Oh, I should have walked it out for a few minutes. Um, so definitely, definitely felt that, especially in the first weeks. Yeah. That's something, uh, mobility and flexibility is something I've really been focusing on probably the last month, two months, something like that. But it's, uh, it's made a huge difference. I just, I feel better all the time. And when I wake up in the morning, I can, there's kind of like less ice to chip through. So the analogy I used to give was if you imagine like a lake freezing at night, it's, it's a lot of ice to chip through, but if you go out there every hour and break that hole in the ice, you know, it's a thin layer in the morning. So I've been really, I've just been trying to stretch and mobilize kind of constantly throughout the day. And I just, I feel so much better, especially as I'm getting quote unquote older, the ripe age of 34. Yeah. Getting older. (laughs) (laughs) So I know I've done a, I've done a few episodes talking about travel workouts and your tra- you said 20 flights, a 20 flights a year. Yeah, that was, that was an intense year. I, I had that back in 2016. Uh, I had a project that took me back and forth from to Washington DC and back. And that's a four hour flight each way. Uh, just a ton of time spent sitting on the planes. So, uh, what was the antidote to that? <laughs> the antidote, uh, lots of water. Uh, I'm, I'm addicted to these, uh, to, uh, hammer nutrition, noon, a uh, bunch of others have the, have the electrolyte, uh, tablets that fizz, uh, give you just those electrolytes without any additional sugars or anything. Um, I, I'll drink a 20 ounce of that, uh, before getting on the plane that helps with, with uh, keeping everything mobile and, and keeping me keeping me alert. Uh, while I'm on the plane, I do do the static uh, in place muscle tense. You know, tense up the tense up the quads, tense up the up the uh, uh, calves. You know, tense up my core and just hold it for a bit. You know, do you know stretch out the shoulders, things like that. Uh, you know, I don't break out into a big old workout in the aisle of the plane, but, uh, something like that can, can really help when, when I get to a new place. Um, and then, you know, I always like having something to look forward to. I always found that, uh, uh, when we were moving around a lot with seasonal work, whenever I got to a new place, it always took me a couple weeks to get used to the new place and figure out what workouts I could do there and, and what roads were good and everything else. And so there was this 
there was this hurdle to get over when I got to a new place of figuring it out, figuring it out, uh, what, what I could do in the space. And, and I've been, uh, trying to figure out, uh, what, uh, what I could do, uh, when I'm just landing in a place for one or two nights, uh, to figure it out so I can be ready to just do something. And, and one shortcut, I, I'm, I'm a Strava user, free account. And, um, one thing I look up is the Strava heat map, global heat map. Uh, zoom in on that for whatever city I'm going to. And, uh, and if you flip it to running, uh, it'll show you the most frequently used running routes in the city. Uh, and that's a, a really cool shorthand. You know, when you look at Google Maps, you see the highways most, uh, most evidently, and then all the walking paths are kind of hidden unless you turn on bike mode. But if you put, if you zoom in on the Strava heat map, you can see immediately, wow, that river trail goes right past my hotel and everyone takes this road to get there. And, um, and I really enjoyed using that as a shortcut. And by the time I get there, I'm ready to just put on the shoes and head out. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's raining, if it's, if it's awful outside, I don't have the right clothes. Um, have a couple couple uh, exercises in my back pocket, um, but either way, I've, I've built up that excitement to exercise, so I can do monkey bar on the back of the door. Uh, I can look up some body weight workouts on the monkey app. I can go down to the uh, to the fitness fitness center and do the running workout or uh, or the uh, kettlebell workout that I was planning to do, but just inside. Um, Whatever works, uh, but uh, a tiny bit of planning can help me, helps me really hit the ground running uh, almost literally when I get to a new city. Uh, this past year, I visited, what was it? I had trips to Indianapolis, Des Moines, Sacramento, uh, Atlanta, you know, the real high spots, the, the touristy spots in the U.S. And, <laughs> and each time I landed there, I found a really attractive path and, and got to really explore the area and, and I've got favorite spots now in each of those towns. Uh, so just a tiny bit of research adds kind of fun to the to the grind of work travel. Yeah, I was I always liked that about going to a new area. And for me, one of the first things I always did, whether it was, you know, like you said back during when I was doing more seasonal work, as soon as I'd get to a new location, the first thing one of the first things I would do is go for a run or go for a hike in the area, and it just there's something about that being outside the car. It really helps you just get a feel and understand the lay of the land, the geography of the land. And then also for changing time zones, I think, uh, just getting that outdoor exercise is so helpful. And, uh, plus you have your gym with you. You can bring anywhere. Hey, I got to, uh, I got to give a shout out to John while I'm thinking about it, but so he's a OG monkey, like to the core, <laughs> he's got, probably a few uh versions of each product we've released and he's actually some of you monkeys listening you may have you may even have a pair of monkey bars that he hand assembled so he came out this was back for i think this this was the uh original with the wood grips he came out to our shop and uh you know i think we had pizzas or something like that but he was there helping us hand assemble so gotta give a continued thanks for that back in those uh those early days of well the struggle hasn't ended but it's at least uh slightly improved so so for traveling one thing for me that always i get stuck on is 
you know, I'll go down to like the hotel gym, but it's just, it's never really what I want it to be. So I'll use pocket monkey. I'll stretch a lot, do like, you know, throw down a towel and do a bunch of burpees or something on the floor, things like that. I also recently, I love doing uh stair repeats as well at hotel. So that new environment and just using that opportunity to kind of be creative and explore and like, it's kind of like this, uh, this mindset of exploratory workouts or using the workout to kind of explore your new environment. I've always enjoyed that. So, well, what, uh, yeah, you know, oh, you know one secret weapon for the, for the, uh, for the hotel workout rooms, by the way, for some reason, the treadmills, but they never have fans. Uh, and so, and so every time I bring, I bring a Lycra headband to keep the sweat out of my eyes, <laughs> it saved my life. It makes it immensely more enjoyable. So quick tip. Fair enough. So what's uh what event is on the radar for this year? You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still on the fence. There's so many interesting ones, uh, coming up. There's, there's one in golden up at uh, white ranch state park. Uh, again on the front range just uh, just west of denver uh they have a 12-hour race and uh, each time you do a loop you you pick a ball out of the bag and whatever color ball that is you do that loop and so it's a it's sort of a, a luck of the draw kind of thing whether you get the uh the long loop the short loop the hard loop the easy loop uh that's a fun one super fun uh and i like it because it, it tones down some of the competitive elements uh, you know, you're not always, you're not at all able to uh, to see the, the the placement of everyone in the field. You can't see the fast guys running by and then the guys behind them and count how many you're back. Instead, you just sort of explore the park. Uh, and, and I like that one a lot. Uh, and there's another one that I was thinking of doing that I've done once before, the uh, uh, Chasing the chasing the Moon 12-hour race. Um, that one starts at 7 p.m., uh, it's done under a full moon and you just do these, these 10, 15 mile loops and get into like a meditative groove, uh, throughout the night. And eventually you hear the birds waking up at four, four thirty, and you run and you realize that you've run through the whole night. So those are both really cool experiences and they're on the radar. Haven't, haven't picked one yet. Okay. You know, one thing I was thinking about, and I, I think a lot of people underestimate, well, I, I guess there's two ways to approach these endurance events. There's kind of racing them and then there's completing them. And I'm definitely in the, when I, when I sign up for something, I'm definitely in the, I'm just trying to complete this, not be injured and cover a lot of ground in a day for folks that are in that category. I think the training is even less intensive and way more approachable than, uh, most people think for when I was training for the grand Canyon this past spring, I think the longest run I did was 20 or 22 miles. Um, and that's a, you know, that's like a over a 50 mile run. No one, I still don't have an exact distance, uh, consensus from the group I did it with. But what I did instead was I basically did these clusters where I did, I think the, the, the densest volume I did was I did a 15 mile day, a 14 mile day, and then an 11 mile day, just all back to back to back. And, you know, no one day was totally uh, soul crushing, but it just, it accumulated that volume and in this non-destructive way that I could adapt, recover from, and then be ready to rock a few weeks down the road. So that was my approach. And again, I'm not trying to run this thing in like eight hours. I, it took me, I think 
I think it was a little over 17 hours. So I think if your mindset is more of just, if you want to go, if, you know, whether it's 50 miles, whether it's a marathon, whether it's a big hike you want to do, I just, I don't think if your mindset is on the completion side there, the training is actually not that unapproachable. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, yeah, that you're describing that 15, 14, 11, uh, three day set. That'll do it. And the third day you're going to be a little stiffer than on the first day. Uh, but, um, you know, something I've, I've read in a number of different contexts and I felt it, uh, in training is to just to know what you're training. You know, uh, when you're, when you're training for speed, run fast, run short, do multiples. When you're running for, for distance, uh, run easy, run long, and, uh, and, 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 you know, accumulate them in terms of that. You know, do a run in the morning, run in the afternoon, run the following day. Uh, they train different systems, uh, so you, you never really have to do a hard, long run that'll destroy you for a week and it'll mean that you get behind on your training. Um, so, yeah, one piece of advice, I suppose. What, how, what about cross training? How do you, do you do a lot of cross training for these events or how do you incorporate that? Yeah, I do cross training, uh, mostly out of, uh, out of a sense of fun and variety. Uh, and also, um, because it, it might be easier in a given, in a given circumstance. Uh, you know, some days, uh, in a busy schedule, it's, it's really hard to get in a run because you're on the wrong side of town. But uh, if I work the schedule right, I might be able to commute downtown on my bike. And uh, if I take it with a certain attitude, I can turn that bike ride into a real training opportunity. So, um, so yeah, no, I do, I do, I do bike rides uh, one, one season. Um, you know, my, my philosophy has always been uh, I want to be running long for the longest time. You know, I want to still be running when I'm in my, in my 70s and maybe even my 80s. And, um, and that's a lot of years to think of. And one of the, one of the principles there is just never to, uh, uh, never to run through injury. Uh, and so one year, uh, I started getting Morton's neuroma. My shoes were a little bit too narrow, things like that. So I stopped and said, you know what, this isn't the year for running. Uh, this is going to take forever to, to heal because it's a nerve injury. Uh, so I swapped to biking, ended up doing, uh, ended up healing up the nerve while strengthening my my body at the same time, and uh, and doing a really cool century ride at the end of the summer. Um, so yeah, that that kind of flexibility on a day to day basis, on a season to season basis, taking the long view. Uh, other other uh, cross training definitely do the the monkey bar workouts. Definitely do the push ups before bed. Um, as, as I mentioned before, you know, strong arms, strong shoulder carriage, strong core really does make the legs work a lot less hard than, than they would need to otherwise. Makes your whole body into kind of a compressed spring uh, rather than uh, making the legs drag along everything else. Uh, so, yeah, I do I do, do uh, little bits of strength work in between the others, and I don't get bent out of shape if, a run is replaced with a bike ride is replaced with a, with a cross country ski workout, uh, or something else. Yeah. That's something that's, uh, you know, I had a very similar attitude and approach the last few years, whereas, 
you know, I was more in my mid to late twenties. It was like, you know, going to the max every time. And, uh, I definitely wasn't taking the long view, which that's something, like you said, being able to do all this when you're 70, 80, that's something I'm really starting to consider. It's like, gosh, you know, if I keep going this hard, like how long is it going to last? So I'm thinking I'm pulling off the throttle in the sense of just going to the death every single time with what I'm doing and trying to, again, think of that more longer view and, uh, being able to do this for, for decades ahead. But, Oh, one thing I want to mention is, especially for the, the Grand Canyon, like you said, the arm, my arms were what were actually the most sore. It was from the poles going up. My triceps were smoked. And that was honestly the sorest part of my body after that. And then for all the ultras I've done, I think I've done, I've done three fifty Ks, the Grand Canyon 50 mile. And then, you know, just random kind of, you know, like you and I did Pawnee Buchanan, things like that. But for all those runs, I always, I lifted, I lifted a lot of weights, um, just, you know, classic squats, deadlifts, clean snatches. And then, you know, that's on top of, uh, or that's included with, I should say body weight exercises, you know, obviously my monkey pull-ups, push-ups, all that, all that goodness, all that wildness. But I can't remember where I heard it. I believe it was on, I listened to Joe Rogan a lot, but I, it was a, I think it was an MMA trainer, someone on that. They were saying that body weight exercise tends not to fry your nervous system as much. So that was something where if I wanted to get some extra volume, I would try and do body weight stuff just so I'm not, you know, maxing out the nerves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think the, uh, the heaviest weights I tend to handle on a day-to-day basis, I got a pair of, of, uh, of dumbbells that are variable weight, but they max out at 25 pounds. Uh, you know, I use them, use them to help my biceps. I do, you know, vertical presses with those. Um, I take off some weight and then do some arm raises in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, find that just helps to stabilize my shoulders a lot. Um, and then I, I use them for, for Jefferson curls. Uh, I use them for, uh, to, to add a little bit of oomph to, uh, to, uh, uh, squats and, uh, and lunges and things. Uh, but otherwise, uh, that's, that's all I need. That's, that, as far as, as far as my goals go, that's all I need. Sure, sure. Can you describe a, can you describe a Jefferson curl? Jefferson curl for me, I, I stand on a step. Uh, with my toes on the edge of the step, I'm standing on the upper side of it, and uh, and I, and I hold the hold the dumbbell. Uh, started with with 10 pounds, I've worked up to 25, uh, and uh, and I'm trying to get up to where I'm using both 25s. But uh, but it's a good one to start with a light weight because the because the your back muscles are really easy to seize up the day after uh, without knowing it. Uh, but um, but what I do is I let my let my arms dangle, and then I start with my neck and curl down and try to curl every single vertebra all the way down one by one until uh, until I'm flat out uh, bent over touching my toes uh, with the weight. Uh, sometimes I on a flexible day I can go a little bit past my toes and then and then slowly I inch it back up again one vertebra at a time until I'm all the way back up do do something like eight to ten sets of that uh and then it 
you know, just it's a perfect complement to the uh, to the setups and the core workouts and things. It just uh, for me, it helps to stabilize the front and the back. Oh, for sure. I remember uh, listening to Christopher Summers, who was a U.S. gymnastics coach. I remember him talking about the Jefferson curl. I think that's the first time I ever heard about it. It might have been on Tim Ferriss's show, but man, that exercise is medicine for your spine. So monkeys listening, Google or YouTube Jefferson curl. And as John said, you got this, this is not a high intensity exercise. It's uh, it's slow. It's smooth. Start probably with no weight and then slowly, slowly add weight, but check it out. Do a few of those throughout the day before you go to bed, when you wake up and, uh, your spine will be strong. Well, this was fun. We should do this more often. It has been fun. Yeah. Just two old men chatting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, so again, monkeys, like I said, John and I, we spent a lot of time together, mainly doing adventures in the wild. And, uh, he's just got really unique perspectives and is just one of those guys that, uh, very intelligent and I really respect and appreciate his opinion. So looking forward to having him on many more times and, uh, we got to get some on the schedule as well for 2020. That's right. That's right. Got to get an adventure. So, all right, monkeys. Well, thank you for tuning in and monkey on. And thank you, John. Thanks for having me, Dan. <laughs>